Thank you. So uh, one other thing I want to mention. On Sunday, uh, December 10th, uh, Sunday, December 10th at 5 p.m., we'll be having what's called Blue Christmas. Since we've never done this before, we hope it'll become an annual thing for us. And so if you have lost a loved one, uh, maybe a, a spouse or a child, um, or you've got a good friend who maybe has lost a loved one last year, we know the holiday season is really hard. And so this service literally is geared for those who've lost loved ones. And so we'd love for you to come be a part of that. And if that's you, come and be a part. And if that's not you, but someone you know, invite them and come with them. Uh, and so at Sunday, December 10th, uh, I believe that's the right date. Matt said Saturday in the last service. It is a Sunday, um, but I'm hoping that date's right off the top of my head. But Sunday, December 10th or 11th, whatever, the, whatever that Sunday is, we'll see you here um, at 5 p.m. So we hope you'll be a part of that. But I was thinking this week about how there's this reality for most of us. Have you ever found yourself in a position or a place where you've acted one way around one group of people and acted totally different around another group of people? Now, I don't mean like you had a more open and honest conversation with your best friend that you had with maybe like an acquaintance that you met at the store. I don't mean that kind of thing. I mean like you're literally like another person. I used to think um, that this was like just something that plagued young people, but as I've gotten older, I've realized it's not just young people, it's old people too, who we act one way around a certain group of people, we act totally different around another group. Now, I'm not saying that we don't play different roles, right? Here's an example of what I mean. Um, I'm a father and a husband and a brother and a son and a coach and a neighbor and a pastor and a friend. Like, right? So in each of those spheres of my life, I might function a little bit different because my role is different. But I hope my personality and my character, they're all the same. But we have a certain phrase we use to define people who act one way around one group of people and act totally different around another group of people. We use this word, right? Hypocrisy. They act one way this place and another way another place, right? Or, or said simply, we call it, call it wearing a mask, right? We wear a mask that seems appropriate for the setting and the place. Um, in fact, the word hypocrisy comes from a Greek word, and its root is this, that you would be playing at something, right? You're playing at being something. So sometimes we'll play at being something because we don't really know who we are. Or we're not really sure what to do with who we are or we wish we were something other than we were, or we wish this group of people would accept us as we are, but we don't think they will, so we'll become someone else, hoping that group of people will welcome us. I know you've probably never done anything like that, but I have. When I was in high school, um, during basketball season, I'll never forget, we played basketball, because in Indiana, like, basketball's a really big deal, and so every Friday night and Saturday night, there was a basketball game during the season. And so on Monday, we got to school, and I remember sitting next to a kid named Ernie in class, and Ernie said something about me, and he was, like, laughing, and he goes, yeah, I can hear how loud you were swearing on the court, like, um, on Friday night or Saturday night, whatever night it would have been. Now, the truth was, I wasn't swearing on the basketball court. <laughs> I was too afraid I might go to hell if I did that. So that was not what I was doing. But I liked the idea that he thought I was. Because it meant I could fit with certain groups of people that if I was totally different, I couldn't fit with certain groups of people. And so I just let him think I was and never corrected him. Playing at something. Being something that you're not. Wishing you were something else. And here's the reality for all of us. I know, like I said, I'm sure I'm the only one that's ever acted one way around one group of people just to fit in. I'm sure none of you have ever experienced that or done anything like that. I know that's probably just my own issue, but here's the reality for all of us. We maybe have done something or said something or not said something to fit in at some point in our life. Maybe. But 
don't know if it would be freeing for you to know today, you and I are not the first people to wrestle with that. We're not the first people who found ourselves in this position wondering what to do, wondering what we've said. In fact, um, one of my goals in life, if I'm honest, is to be the same person on Sunday morning that I am on Monday morning, that I am on Saturday morning, that I am on Friday night, that I am on Saturday night. I want to be the same person everywhere. Like, that's one of my life's goals, to be the same person in every circumstance. Why? Because I don't, I don't want my kids or anybody else to think, well, yeah, he was this way here, but he was that way there. I just, I just want to be the same person in every situation. And maybe we've, we've recognized that sometimes there's a disconnect from what we long to do and what we actually do. In fact, in the early church, one of the things they wrestled with is there became kind of levels of like faithfulness. Like they're more faithful than you because you had to jump through certain hoops and they jumped through them and you didn't. And you're like, what are you talking about? And I'll get there. But here's the reality. Last week we began what will be a three-week series looking at this. What are the marks of the followers of Jesus? What marks out their life? What are the things in their life that they're marked by, that they live from, that they live out? And so what Paul began talking about, we began to look at last week, is Paul had this radical transformation where he lived from a set of rules and shifted to living from a set of love. Now, there were certain things that Paul didn't do because love doesn't do certain things. But it was this radical transformation where it was no longer about keeping a list of rules, but living with a right heart. And it was a radical shift and a radical transformation. And so he's continuing to talk to the church in Galatia about what does it look like for us to live out this radical transformation. And he's saying to them, there are old models and old ways of living, and I don't want you to go back to those anymore. Live into the new ways in which God has called you to live. Because as you keep trying to go back to the old ways, then you're no longer living into the new ones. And then we're not really transformed. We're playing at something again. And he doesn't want us to play at something. He even goes so far, as we talked about last week just a little bit, that sometimes there are things in our life we have to let go of and not go back to. And other times the why of what we do may need to shift to something different. And so this is a dramatic shift for the people of God. Why? Because for many in the early church, they had grown up in a Jewish system. They were a part of what's a Judaism, the religion of Judaism. And in that, there are all these rules and lists of things that you're supposed to follow. But, but one thing that was distinctly Christian about the early church, about those who had converted from Judaism to Christianity, right, to become followers of the way of Jesus, what was distinctly Christian was this, this belief that Jesus had been the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, what we call the entire Old Testament. That Jesus had fulfilled the law and the prophets, and if that's true, we don't have to go back to them any longer to be what define our lives. But we find that we begin to follow after him. And what the early church talked so much about was how all the Old Testament scriptures, they pointed forward to the work of Jesus. And then Jesus comes and the new church is trying to wrestle with how do we understand what it looks like to follow him in light of what we have grown up in and known. And this really is what Paul does so often. He begins to talk about, here's what we have known, but here's how we're called to live as God's unique people in the world. As we're kind of looking at this text, beginning chapter 2 of Galatians and today. And, and so it's been 14 years since Paul has gone to Jerusalem. It's been 14 years. It's a long time. So Paul goes to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles, the actual followers of Jesus, and, and to make sure that what he's preaching and teaching is in line with what the church thought. He wants to make sure he's not preaching some gospel, some good news message out there that, that isn't true to who Jesus was, right? He wasn't one of Jesus' initial followers. In fact, he was a persecutor of Jesus' initial followers. And so he goes to meet with Peter and James and other of the early church leaders and to make sure that they're on the same page about what it is they're trying to teach. And he brings with him one of the Christians who is with him often in his ministry, a guy named Titus. In fact, there's a whole letter in the Bible called Titus. It was written to him. 
And Titus shows up with Paul, and then there's like a kerfuffle, right? Because Titus is a Gentile. And you're like, aren't we all Gentiles? Well, unless you're Jewish, you're a Gentile. So Titus is a Gentile, and he shows up with Paul. And there are some in that group, of that early church leadership, that are like, hmm, he's not welcome here until he's circumcised. And you're like, what? That's weird. Well, here's why. There were three things that were required to convert to Judaism in the ancient world. One, you had to be baptized. Seems not too, too unrealistic. That's okay. I'm kind of like washing away the old life, living into a new one. All right, we, we, we embrace that in the church. Two, you have to offer a sacrifice. Well, as Christians, we say Jesus did that, but, but they're saying you have to do that again. But they're saying, well, since we don't do that because Jesus did that, and you've been baptized, we don't do that. But you do have to do the third thing, and that's you have to be circumcised. And so Paul says to those who are arguing for this, that's dumb. Don't you believe that the Spirit does the transforming work on the inside that transforms us inside out? And if that's true, um, just doing this outward act, this, this rite of initiation is not worthy of what God has already done. We've already seen God's Spirit poured out in Titus's life. So why does he need to do this outward act to just satisfy you? And so the early church goes, hey, all right, good call. He doesn't have to do that. We're, we're okay with that. But this is what leads to what happens next is sometimes letting go of those old things that hold us captive and captivate us and kind of enslave us. Sometimes letting go of that stuff gets hard. And so here's what we see in chapter 2 beginning with verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. By the way, I'll stop because I don't think I did this last service, but Cephas is actually Peter. So just so you're on the same page, Peter, the apostle of Jesus. So there we go. So when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish custom? All right, by the way, if anyone who doesn't think there is like lots of drama in the scriptures, then you don't know the backstory of this particular story, because this really is a lot of drama here in this particular story. Paul goes to Peter. Paul, the one who imprisoned and sent out murderous threats and might have even had some people murdered because they followed Jesus. That same Paul is talking to Peter, the one who Jesus said, I'll build my church on you, the rock. Right? This same Paul is talking to that same Peter, and he's calling him out in front of everybody else. Why was Paul so upset? Because before these Jews from Jerusalem had showed up in Antioch, Peter was at the table eating, having a great time, probably eating some unclean food because he realized that nothing's unclean when you come to know Jesus. Like it's everything's fine. It's all on the table again. And he's hanging out with people. And then the Jews show up and he's like, hmm, I can't go to that table. It's like the school cafeteria all over again where it's like, you're not invited to that table and you're not invited to that table. You're like, mm, they're not welcome here. And some of you are laughing and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you don't know, you might have been at the table that other people weren't invited to and you didn't even know it. You see, Peter has bought into the idea that Jesus came for all people from all places and all backgrounds. 
And yet, when other people showed up, he was concerned of what they would think of him. And so Paul's calling him out because he's ruining his own witness. Peter is functioning as a hypocrite. He's a hypocrite. He's play-acting. He's putting on a mask. He's living one way when one group of people is around. He's living another way when another group of people is around. Now, I have to be honest. Most people in our day aren't worrying about wearing a mask where they look really, really holy. Like that, I just don't see that a lot. I mean, where they're so other or so set apart. What I typically see is this. Um, the question is, right, wait, we're, we're presumptuous on the extension of God's grace. And here's what I mean by that idea. Most of the time, we're asking this kind of question. How close can I follow Jesus, right, and still maybe get heaven? Like, well, I, I mean, how, how much do I have to actually do? How little can I follow him? Rather than, like, how much can I be like Jesus and still live in this world? It's more like... Well, how, how worldly can I be and maybe still get this Jesus thing at the end? It's the wrong question, right? The question should be, how much can I be like Jesus and still be a part of this everyday world? And so it's the opposite. Peter's kind of asking. He doesn't want to fit in with these people, but it's the same idea. It's, it's a kind of a hip, hypocritical way of living. I want to live into this when it suits my needs, but not when it doesn't suit my needs. And it's what we can always say about Jesus. So there's no question he spent time with people that were not like him with all kinds of different groups of people, but what we can always say with complete conviction as we read the scriptures is that he was the same with every group of people he was with. And this is what Paul is trying to point out. And he's trying to point out that, that, that Jesus did something radical that transformed the world. And here's what he writes. Verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. By the way, I have a ton of sympathy for people who, that Paul is talking to who have bought into the idea that rules are the way of life ton of sympathy. Totally get it, right? I grew up, and it was this idea that good Christian boys don't drink or smoke or chew or go with girls who do. You can flip that if you want, right? That, that was the, those were like the rules, right? That's how that worked. And at one level, that might be wise, right? Girl chewing would probably not go well for me. Like, right, I get it. Like, it's weird. But but this idea that there were these rules that you had to follow to fit in certain boxes. If you didn't fit in the boxes, you weren't welcome. But this brings about some difficult things because what Paul is trying to say is the marks of the followers of Jesus, they may be outward things we can see, but, but it's not by following a list of rules. It's about this inside-out transformation that God does in and through us. Right? Now, I want to be clear. Sometimes we begin to behave certain ways, and it kind of helps lead to our transformation, right? Like we, we, we live a certain way, and it begins something we kind of love over time. It kind of changes us, right? Like some people, when you start maybe going to the gym, you hate it for a while, but all of a sudden you love it eventually, or whatever it might be, right? Whatever thing you started. You went, took instrument practices, and you didn't like them, but all of a sudden you love playing the instrument, right? You, you acted your way into a new way of living, a new way of believing, but most of the time, our transformation happens from inside out. It's not as obvious to other people. And this inside-out transformation happens when we embrace the words of Paul. In fact, these were his words. 
I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And then he gives this line. I think it's one of the greatest lines in the scriptures. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what's the point that Paul's getting to? Because he's basically saying the law is no longer valid in my life. Because I've come to know Christ. In fact, one of the things that the scriptures will talk about this this setting aside of the Mosaic law and the embracing of Christ's law, and it's this law of love, this law that, that honestly, we notice no ends. It doesn't have just a set of rules you don't follow, but it's this embracing way of life which knows no end. And so what we begin to find here in chapter 3, verse 7, find here's what Paul writes. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith And announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Right, so Paul's quoting here from Deuteronomy 27, 26, which just says this. That if you don't do everything in the law, then you're cursed. Everything. It's a lot, by the way, over 600 rules. What's his point? Those 600 rules don't matter. Not if you follow Jesus. There's a way you're called to live that, that again, don't get me wrong. There are things that love doesn't do, so there are things in, that, in those laws that we probably shouldn't do. That's fair. That's accurate. But if you're bound to one, you're bound to them all. And that's Paul's whole point is here's what he uses this example. He talks about Abraham. And he says there's the reality of Abraham. So if you go back to Genesis chapter 12, the story of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham says, is a conversation with God. And God says to him, I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to the world. Really cool picture, by the way. I'll make you more numerous than the sand on the seashore. Then in Genesis 15, God says about Abraham... Your faith is credited to you as righteousness. So his faith is credited as righteousness. By the way, it's not for two more chapters that Abraham is circumcised. Like, what's the point of that? It was another 400 years before the law of Moses came. Well, here's the reality. The covenant that God makes with Abraham, that I will bless you to be a blessing, that your people will bless the world. That it's your faith that makes you in right relationship with God was given before there was ever a law written. And why does that matter? Because what Paul's trying to get across is that Abraham wasn't born Jewish, wasn't born in Israel. He would have been a Gentile. He was not one of God's chosen people, but by his willingness to go, God invites him into this covenant relationship with him. And what Paul is trying to get across here, it's the same thing here. God's people are not defined by any singular nation. In fact, in God's kingdom, what Paul goes on to write in just a few moments, we'll get to national boundaries don't mean anything in the kingdom of God. What Paul is trying to get people to understand is that the offspring of Abraham are those who have faith. And by virtue of that faith, we can begin to live our truest, best selves. We can be a people that is blessed to be a blessing. A people that, that, by the way, that doesn't have a kid's table. Here's what I mean by that. Like growing up, we always had, like at family gatherings, we have have a large family. And so um, we'd have family gatherings. There was like the adult table where I always wanted to sit. And there was like the kid's table in the corner. You know, or in the other room, like down the stairs, away from everybody else, so the adults could actually have a conversation. 
And, and so I remember the first time I sat at the adult table. It's pretty cool, by the way. In God's kingdom, there's no kids' table. Everybody's invited to the same table. There's no boundary that keeps you separate. You're invited, all of us, invited to the same table. And so here's what Paul goes on to write towards the end of chapter 3. He says this, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. One of the best lines in the entire New Testament. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So how then are we a part of God's people? It's through faith that we are invited to be God's people. We're invited through baptism to become one with him, to become his people, to let go of the old way of our life and walk into the new one, to publicly declare that we're choosing to be God's children, to recognizing his love for us, is extended to us, and choosing to live into that. It's why this line, there's not a slave nor free, male or female, Jew or Gentile, why it's so powerful for us that our past does not matter. Where we have come from does not matter. What we have previously done does not matter. Only this idea that we live into this new birth that God has on offer for each of us to know that at the foot of the cross, each one of us is equal in the eyes of God. And you and I are invited there to be that people where we can take off our mask. We can quit playing at being a different thing in a different group of people in different circumstances. We can become the same person everywhere we go. And so the things we have done, the ways we have chosen to separate ourselves from God's love can be let go. And at the foot of the cross, they can lay there and be buried there. And it brings me back to the words we've read earlier that I'm going to read one more time. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives with me. Do we just get tired of wearing masks? You get tired of being one person with one group of people and then you forget which person you're supposed to be with that group of people and so you just kind of change based on who you are and over and over you keep doing the same thing. It's this vicious cycle and you know it, it's disingenuous. You know it's not really who you are but you're not sure who you really are. You're not sure where you want to come. Come at the end of the day, you don't know who you want to be. And maybe if you're just tired of running in that kind of race or wearing that mask over and over again, maybe you and I can just find this idea that if we'll embrace the true life that God has on offer for us. We don't have to wear a mask any longer. We don't have to be different around different groups. We don't have to put up, put up boundaries to keep people out. What we begin to find is the phrase that we used last week that I told you we'd talk about again this week, we'll use again now. We would find ourselves embracing this idea of cruciformity, that, that we would be conformed to the image of the crucified Christ. Conformed 
to the crucified Christ. In other words, we would lay things down and be no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We'd be a people who are shaped by God's love, who would find ourselves living more generously than we ever thought we could, who would be more gracious than we ever thought we knew how, that we'd be quick to forgive even when that's not normally our nature. What we begin to find is we see all people as people Jesus died to save. We'd find ourselves living in such a way that we believe the words of Paul when he writes, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. In other words, your background, your nation doesn't matter. No slave or free. They're all free in the eyes of God. So male or female, they're all equal. So why does that matter then? Because then maybe we'll begin to believe the song, maybe you were like me and you sang as a kid. Red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. Right? Maybe you sang that in Sunday school growing up. I did. Um, but if you did, maybe you'll begin to believe it's actually true. That wherever people come from, whatever their background is, wherever they live, they're people Jesus actually died to save. And you and I are called to see them and love them as they are, where they are. Not where we wish they were. And for us to live as people who follow the cruciform example of Christ... There are probably some things in our life that really do need to be crucified with Christ. And I don't know what the things in your life that might need to be crucified are. You're going to have to probably answer that for yourself. But one of the things that for, for us, if we struggle with wearing masks or being different people in different places, our hypocrisy might need to be one of the things that's crucified with Christ. Or we need to be shaped from the inside out. Or we need to just not live from one way in one group of people and one way in another group of people, but become the same people everywhere we may go. And here's the reality for us in that. What makes that so hard for us is we're all shaped every day in all kinds of ways. We're each formed every single day in lots of the things we do, right? We, we often don't think about how we're continually and consistently formed. Um, but the question is, what's shaping our hearts and what's shaping our minds? And what gets the majority of our focus? Here's the reality. If politics is where you spend most of your time, you're always going to be anxious about who gets elected or who doesn't get elected. And it's going to be the end of the world if that person does or if that person does. Always. If you're so wrapped up in watching news, you're always going to think the world is worse than it actually is. If you're so concerned about sports or entertainment, you're going to lose sight of what's truly important in life. And it will shape you for that to be your identity. If, if it's Jesus, you and I might just begin to get things in their proper perspective. We might just begin to find the rest of life makes more sense when he becomes the thing we want to most shape us and the thing that we most invest in. And so I say this, we want to be so formed by Jesus that we are actually transformed by Jesus. What might happen if we're so formed by him that it leads to the transformation of who we actually are? What if we begin to find that we all wear masks as barriers because we're afraid of getting hurt or being kept out? What if we could lay those things down? And what if, it's, what if it's sometimes we've done it because we've been wounded so often and so we, we put on a mask because we're afraid of being hurt again or we put on a mask because we want to keep people away because we, we don't like them. And this was the problem for the Jews that Paul's writing to. They were struggling with this because they had bought into this idea that because they were God's chosen people, they were so special that no one else was special. And what Paul's saying is this, yeah, everybody's special just like you. In Jesus, neither Jew nor Gentile. But we're the special people. And he's like, yeah, 
neither Jew nor Gentile. But I'm a free person. Eh, I'm a slave or free. But I'm a man of this house. Eh, I'm a male or female. They're all equal in the kingdom of God. All people invited in. This brings us back to Peter. Because sometimes we're worried about getting accepted at that table. Or whether we're invited truly to that table to belong, to be a part of God's people. But what we find is that in Jesus, the marks of the follower of Jesus aren't what table we get to sit at, but the marks of the follower of Jesus are willingness to be crucified with Christ. And so I no longer live, but he lives in me. To take off my mask and to set it down, to receive God's love that he has on offer for each of us, to know the fullness of of our life, to know where we fit and where we belong, that he matters because we matter to him. So I was thinking this week, um, I got my hair cut this week, and as I was there, the lady at the salon was, was asking me all kinds of questions, and, and uh, she said, so you like mentor people sometimes? Like, yeah, I, I kind of mentor people. That's, that's fair. That's, that's a good way to say some of what I do. Yeah, we call it discipleship in the church, but, but you know, whatever, yeah. And she said, well, um, what, basically, she's asking, like, what's the problem with people today? And I, and I said, well, there's a whole lot of conversation. And I, and I, and I said, well, I, I guess I'll summarize it in this. At the end of the day, if I had to pick one problem, like, because that's really what she's trying to get at, get at what, what's the one problem you're going to pick? I said, there's a lot of identity issues. And they all kind of stem from identity. She's like, oh, is that because people are narcissistic? And I'm like, well, I mean, some people are because they're worried about how many likes they get on Facebook or on social media of some kind. Like, did people like this post? Did they comment on it? I don't know. Who cares? Right? If that's feeding us, that might, that might be feeding narcissism, but that's also feeding this longing to, to, to fit. Because it's, there's really two questions that we're all asking. What on earth am I here for? And what's my purpose? What on earth am I here for? Like, what, who am I? Like, I think I said, that's not really narcissism. We all want to know who am I. It's why I said earlier that, like, if there's one thing, right? We sing that song the last time. I was, I'm a, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. If there's one thing I could get all of us to embrace as truest thing of our life is if that was true for each of us, then the question of like, who am I, and what on earth am I here for? That's a question we no longer are really asking because we know who we are and we know what on earth we're here for. Follow Jesus to love people as He loves them. And help other people come to know him. And that will be our whole life's purpose. By the way, I just summarized this whole New Testament in like four lines. That's it. Follow him. Know that you are deeply loved for him. That he died for you. That you can live in such a way that you can find freedom that's beyond what you could ever know. That invites you into a way of life to be a part of a unique people that's called to be a blessing to the world. We call that people the church. Paul wants us to know that sometimes the barriers we have put up or the others have put up is sometimes from our, just our woundedness. But in God's kingdom, those things don't matter. And so if you and I were to take off our masks, to put them down, to stop living from a place of hypocrisy, that we truly could be transformed from the inside out. In fact, I'd say it this way. Choosing the cruciform way invites us to find our truest, best self in Jesus. Choosing the cruciform way, which sounds so counterintuitive to everything in the world in which we live, right? Like, if you want your best life, then grab all these things. Would you say, hey, if you want your best life, let go of everything. And find that I will give you life that you never knew was possible. That I will give you life that leads to life. That you'll find your surest, best self that you've never known. 
let go. Quit holding on tightly to some of the things you're holding on to. Allow me to be what forms who you are, your very identity, your very purpose. And in that way, we become the very unique people of God. So our mask can be off. It can be over. We don't have to live as a hypocrite trying to play it with this group and play it that group and be this and be that. We can just be God's unique people, beloved children of God. And so today, maybe you and I need to hear this. There might be something in our life that needs to be crucified, to be let go of, to be laid down. So that we can say, I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together today for the way you love us and the way you invite us to be your unique people. We so desperately want to be marked by you that we want to live as your unique people in the world. We want to be the kind of people who love others well, who have been so radically transformed that we look and sound and act like your son Jesus. And Father, we know sometimes that's really easy to say those kinds of things, but to live them is so hard. So maybe today, whatever it is that we're holding back that we need to let go of, may you help us to let go of it and choose you above all else. That we'd find you become the thing that forms us and transforms us. And may we find that we can say with our whole self and our whole being that Jesus is Lord of our life. We pray this in his name. Amen.